your copy of God's Word, if you turn to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 8, be taking our text from this morning. Romans chapter 8. We're going to look at one verse today, and that's verse 28. It's also up here on our big screen up here on the wall. Romans 8, 28. And here the Bible says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the reading of your word this morning. I'm praying now that you help us as we try to understand this text the best that we possibly can. Lord, we can only do that by allowing the Holy Spirit to illuminate this scripture for us. And God, just see exactly what you would have us to know in this text. And we want to give you the honor and praise and glory for it all. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we continue through our studies of rooting through Romans, our sermon series, uh, this is part number 26. And as I mentioned last week, we're only going to look at this one verse because it was way too large to expound upon last time included with our text that we were preaching last time. Uh, Romans 8.28, no doubt, is uh, many people's favorite verse, uh, one of the most quoted verses in all the world. No doubt some people have used it for their life verses. And uh, it is a, it's an interesting text. It's one of the greatest verses in all the Bible. It gives us great hope, great assurance, and uh, it brings great comfort to many people. Uh, we must keep in context, however, uh, God's Word. Uh, His Word is not uh, really... Uh, you're not supposed to just pull out one verse of Scripture and use it all by itself and only contain those thoughts that's right there in that verse. God's Word depends upon rightly dividing it. And so what we do is we look at it in the context that it's been given in. Now we know, of course, the Apostle Paul is a human penman. God is the author of the Bible. He wrote all the books. He is the author. But Paul is the human penman whom God used to pin down the words he wanted us to hear. And so everything is put in order. God is a, a God of order. And everything in his text you're supposed to take in context. And so to pull this verse out by itself and use it and claim it for certain things is not really the, the correct way to use God's Word. Now, I know there are times we, we do that. Uh, you can certainly take John 3.16 and bring it out and stand it on its, on its own and, and make all those claims about salvation and how God loves the world and, and all that on that one verse. But we want to look at the, the Scripture as a whole. I know I'm beating a dead horse here. I keep on and on. But I want you to understand that context is very critical when you're studying God's Word so that you properly understand what it is He's trying to tell us. And so, we this uh, last week we looked at uh, the fact that we are saved by hope. And we talked about that word hope and how it isn't really the same way that we use hope in our modern everyday English, as in a wish or uh, a, a perhaps something's going to happen. But it's more of, a, of, a, of an assurance. It is a, uh, it, we have complete trust in it. It's certainty when it's used in the New Testament, that word hope. And so it's a certain thing a fact that, that's going to come about. Now, all through this chapter, Paul's been stating facts about our salvation, about those who are saved. He started out in verse 1 of Romans chapter 8 by saying, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. So we can learn from that verse alone that once we're saved, we cannot come back under condemnation for our sin. It's been forgiven. 
The blood of Jesus forgave our sins, all past, present, and future sins have been forgiven. We can't come under condemnation and death uh, for sin because we're saved. He says that in verse 1 there. In verse 2, he makes the fact that we're free from the law of sin and death. That goes right along with verse 1. If we've been saved, that we're not condemned, we can't be under condemnation, and we're free from the law of sin and death. Verse 11, he said our bodies will be quickened, or in other words, raised up, come alive, just as Jesus was raised up. And we have that, that promise from God's word. In verse 14, he claims that the saved people are the sons of God. In verse 16, he said that we're the children of God. In verse 17, he said we're heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. In verse 24, he said we're saved by hope. And in verses 26 and 27, he says the Holy Spirit makes intercession for us. All these are facts, they're certainties, that are based on God's Word and the truth of God's Word. And we can take those for a fact. And so all these things in this chapter are, are showing the, the benefits, uh, if, for lack of better terms, the benefits of being a Christian. And these things that are promised to us, if you notice, they're future events. They're future events. We are the sons of God. That's a present event, but we will become heirs. Right now we're, we're heirs, but we won't become that heir and get those things that come to the heir until we reach heaven, until we stand before God and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so all these things that he's talking about are really things that we're looking forward to. That's why he said that the, all creation groaneth. And waiting for the return of, of the Lord and the manifestation of the sons of God. And so these are all future events. And so we need to remember that as we look at this verse. This too is part of this. And the verses after this are looking at future things. And so all these facts about our salvation brings us up to what it says there in Romans 8.28. Which starts out by saying, and we know. Does anybody's Bible say, and we believe, or and we think, or and we feel, or and we have been told? No, it says we know. It's a certainty. It's a fact. Again, just like everything else in God's Word, it is a fact. It says, and we know. There's no question about it. We don't doubt it at all. We know this. <laughs> you know certain things. You've learned them. You know it. You've lived it. And so, I know I had a, a sausage biscuit for breakfast. There's no doubt about that. The same way as I know this that the Bible says. It's, it's a certain fact. No doubt. And so, Romans 8, 28, probably one of the most quoted verses in all the Bible, and misquoted. It's misused and abused and, and used out of context so many times. Uh, I don't want to cause anybody despair or, or cast doubts on your favorite verse or, or your interpretation of it, but we do need to understand what this is actually meaning and not claim that it means something that it does not. Now, growing up in a Christian home, of course, we went to church every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday. We went to the revivals. We went to all these special events, special singings, um, homecomings. We, I mean, we were in church the biggest part of our life. Uh, over and over and over. Every week it was the same. And that's just how life was for us growing up. 
And uh, all through these years of being in church and in, in the ministry for the past almost 30 years now uh, in the gospel ministry, I've heard Romans 8.28 so abused and misused that it's, it's ridiculous. Um, I've heard it used for things such as, well, somebody lost their job. Well, all things work together for good. You know, that's what the Bible says. Somebody lost a family member. Well, all things work together for good. Boy, isn't that comforting? To lose someone dear to you and some well-meaning person comes up and says, well, now all things work together for good. Really, it doesn't feel very good right now. And so I understand what they're trying to say. They're trying to offer some kind of hope and comfort and use God's word for it, but they're misusing that. That is not the proper place to bring out this verse of scripture to try to comfort someone. It will not bring comfort to you in those times. And so I heard it, you know, somebody loses a child, somebody uh, loses their money, their job, their health, and all these things. Well, the Bible says all things work together for good. And then they walk away as if they've done their job. Well, needless to say, this has always grated me. It's got under my skin. It's bothered me. So I want us to look at this passage of Scripture for what it actually means and what it says so that we can interpret it the correct way. As you know, the book of Romans is written by the Apostle Paul. I've already mentioned that. He was writing to this church. He had not been there yet to Rome. He longed to go there. Many of the people in the church were saved under Paul's preaching. He knew them intimately. He knew several of the people that were there that were teachers and the ministers, of course. And he had led several of those church members to Christ. He had a personal connection with them. And so his purpose for writing this letter was to bring them hope and was to bring them doctrine and theology and instruction for living a proper Christian life. Paul had wisdom and insight that was given to him by the Holy Ghost and by the Lord himself as he met with Paul there for those three years in the Arabian Desert. He, he imparted into Paul things that no other man had ever had the privilege of, of hearing and knowing. And so this really is an all-purpose Christian handbook. You can call it you know, Christian 101 if you want to. It's got everything in it that you need to know about living a proper Christian life. And so by the time Paul gets to Romans chapter 8, he's provided great detail already on what it means to be a Christian and what your faith means and, and those things that, that uh, belong to a Christian and how God works in the believer's heart and life. And so he gets to Romans 8.28 and he gives us this great promise that God provides, which is that all things work together for good. All things. Now what things is he talking about all things? All things? That's what it says, all things. That includes good things, that includes bad things, that includes sorrowful things, that includes joyful things, that includes terrible things, and that includes wonderful things. All things work together, the Bible says. So all things. God can use everything for his benefit, for his glory, and for our good. Now, even sin. God does not cause sin. God does not cause you to sin. He doesn't entice you to sin. He doesn't do anything to make you sin. However, he will use the sin in your life for your good. Now, that seems very strange that God could do that, but that's exactly what he does. He takes those circumstances, those sins, those failures, and things that happen in our life, and, and turns them around for good unto us. It's the same way as Joseph. You know, you meant it to, for evil, but God meant it for good. 
and how God used that situation in Joseph's life uh, to save so many people. And so God will use sin and produce good from it in our life, and it's for our ultimate good. Now, immediately when you hear the word good, you start thinking of things that you consider to be good. At least I do. If you're like most people, you think of good things like health, wealth, uh, homes, uh, uh, happiness, fulfillment, safety, comfort. All those are good things. Those are things that we desire to have in our life because we consider these to be good. We don't consider death or sickness or or anxiety or depression or any of those things good. Those are not good things to us. And so what's he talking about these good things? Uh, well, like I said at the beginning, you have to keep the Word of God in context, and everything so far that we've been looking at has been the good of the future, has been pointing toward what's to come, our glory that we're, we're going to receive. And so I believe what God's trying to tell us is these good things that he is making out of our current situation are things that we look forward to in a future time in our for ultimate eternal good so i believe these to be spiritual things i believe these to be eternal things i believe these to be heavenly things and so um you know like i said it's it's pointing toward future glory because the bible said that the the all creation groaneth for uh, for the time the lord will come and the manifestation of the sons of god that's a future event and so it's not referring really to carnal and fleshly wants and desires and things that we believe to be good, like, you know, well, this situation, God's going to use it to make me wealthy. No, that's not what the Bible's talking about. Or, you know, God's going to use this right here in my life so that I'll have my health restored. We're not promised that. We're not promised these things, these temporal things that most people desire and most people use this verse for uh, most people are using this verse for a immediate good that they believe is a good thing, and they think that God's going to make that come about because of the next part of the verse, they love God. Well, that's not what the Bible says. And so this is not referring to carnal, fleshly wants and desires. Uh, it isn't referring to temporary things, such as happiness or getting your way or everything's working out for you the way that you want, keeping your job, restoring your health, and all those things. It's talking about this being good for you as a Christian, as good for your testimony, as good for your faith, as good for your future glory, that day that will come about, that we're storing up things in heaven. And so it's not until after we leave this world of sin that we're going to actually realize all the good that God has made out of these situations in our life. And so it says to them, as we just said, to them that love God. Now that phrase, them that love God, it's referring to Christians or saints. That's who loves God. Nobody else loves God. You only there's really two classifications of people in this world. There's those that love God and those that hate God. There's really no straddling the fence here. You don't kind of like God or kind of don't like Him. You either love Him or you hate Him, and that's just the truth from the Word of God. Listen to what it says in Romans five, chapter six, verse, uh, or chapter five, verses six through ten. Romans five, six through ten. The Bible says, For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. That was us. Before we were saved, we were the ungodly. 
For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, but peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commended his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Look at it. Verse 10. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And so an unsaved person is an enemy of God. An enemy hates you. That's why they're your enemy. They hate you. You're not enemy with somebody you just kind of dislike or just kind of have a, 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 a argument with. You're not their enemy. You can work that out. But when you hate somebody, you're their enemy. People that are not saved hate God. They're his enemy. And so they can't love him. And so this is not for the lost people of the world, this verse. It doesn't apply to them. So it's ridiculous to come up to somebody that's lost and tell them when, when they're going through something, well, you know, all things work together for good. It does not apply to the lost person at all. Clearly, a lost person doesn't love God. This promise don't apply, and neither could it apply. Remember, the good is a spiritual good. There's no spiritual good in a lost person. They can't have it. A lost person has no hope of future glory. The only hope a lost person has is if they'll hear the gospel and trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior. Then they'll have hope. Then we can apply these verses once they are saved. But until then, no, it does not apply to the lost. Look at what it says next, back in Romans 8, 28. It says, to them who are the called. The called. Who are the called? Well, Paul starts out this epistle to the Romans by addressing them as this. Look at Romans chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. Remember, he's writing this to the church, to the saved people. Romans 1, 6 through 7. Among whom are you also the called of Jesus Christ? To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So immediately right here in this epistle to the Romans, Paul refers to people that are saved as the called. He said they are called of Jesus Christ. That means he's the one that called them. And they're called to be saints. A saint is someone who is saved. Over in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2, the Bible says, Under the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. All through the Bible we find that people that are saved, people that are referred to as saints, are called. There's a calling. It's the effectual calling of God upon a person to be saved. 1 Corinthians 1, 23-24. But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks foolishness, but unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. So that includes everybody. So the called are not just Jews. They're not just the children of Israel. They're not just those that, uh, you know, that uh, people refer to as those that God is set apart, you know, separately over here and all this stuff, the circumcision and all that. No, it's everyone. The Jew and the Greek both encompass all people. And he says they're the call. Those are saved. Second Thessalonians 2, 13 and 14. But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning 
chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth, whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, here we see the, the church there at Thessalonica. Paul goes on as, as far to tell them that they were called under the gospel that he preached, that Jesus had called them. He said they, they had been chosen to salvation and had been called through the gospel. So how are we called? Through the gospel. How are men saved? By the word of God. How can they be saved unless they have a preacher? And so the preached word of God is how God chooses to call people uh, to be saved. Jude uh, 1 and 1. It says, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called. And called. Revelation 17, 14, the last book of the Bible. These shall make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb shall overcome them, for he is Lord of lords and King of kings, and they that are with him are called and chosen and faithful. That's us. That's who comes with him when he comes to conquer and reign and rule this world and to drive sin away. Those that are with him, the Bible says, are the called. So, back in Romans 8, 28, what does it say? To them who are the called. Who's the called? Saved people. <laughs> and so, you do realize you can't be saved unless God calls you, right? You don't call yourself. You don't suddenly decide, I think I'll believe in this God that I hear about. No, that's not how it works. God calls you before you can be saved. We know this from the Bible. Jesus said in John 6 and 44, No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. To be drawn is to be snatched up, to be called, to be taken in, to be called. Further on in John 6 and 65, he said, Therefore said I unto you that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my Father. And so the fact is, God preordained, God predestined us to be saved. And he called us, and he called us before even the foundation of the world. Now that is almost mind-blowing to try to think of. For us to try to imagine what it was like before God created the world, and we know God has always been. How long has God been? Always. He wasn't created, so he's just always been. And so we don't know how long God has been since before he created the world. Many, many things. He called us before he even did all this. Before he even made the decision that he's going to create a, a, a earth and, and Mars and Jupiter and, and all that and create a human race and all that. He, he called us already. He already knew. He predestined us to be saved. And so in the next two verses here in Romans chapter 8, we didn't read them this morning, but Romans 8, 29 and 30, we see this. It says, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate, to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. To be justified means that you've been saved. To be saved means that you've been called. If you've been called, you were predestined to be saved. Preordained. And so it all goes hand in hand. Listen to these verses in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. 
The Bible says, Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. There in 2 Timothy chapter 1, we're given all this information again. God, he is his purpose, it was his will that he call us, call those who have been saved. It's a holy calling, the Bible says. And it says he did this before the world began. Amazing. It said, take, take attention there in 2 Timothy 1 uh, verse uh, 9, it says, according to his own purpose. What did our opening text say there in Romans eight twenty eight? It says, to them who are the called according to his purpose. That word purpose is very important. It means it's God's will. God's purpose is his will. It's what he expects to come about. And so it's his purpose for us as, as those that are called to become saved. Now, perhaps one of the greatest passages of Scripture in all the Bible that explains our calling and being predestined can be found in Ephesians chapter 1. Look at it there. I know I've already read from there once, but Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. The Bible says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ according as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Let's stop for a second. What do we see already? He's chosen us. And Paul's talking to saved people. Paul says he has chosen us even before the foundation of the world. And not only that, he didn't, he didn't only choose us, but he chose us so that we would be holy and without blame. Verse 5, having predestinated us, under the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. There it is again. Remember what it said in Romans 8.28, according to his purpose. Here it says, is the good pleasure of his will. To the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he has made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, wherein he has abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he has, here's the word again, purposed in himself. This is God's purpose for us. Verse 10, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated, according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. There again, it tells us we've been predestinated, and it says it was his purpose, the purpose of him who worketh all things. That's God. Verse 12, that we should be to the praise of his glory, who first trusted in Christ, in whom ye also trusted, after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. What did we say a while ago? How, how were people saved? Through the gospel. And Paul, what, what did he say over there in his writing? He says that you were called by our gospel. He said that over there in uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. He said you're called by our gospel. Here in Ephesians chapter 1, he says, In whom you also trusted after you heard the word of the truth, 
the gospel of your salvation, and whom also after you believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. There again is that is that uh, promise that we have. Once we become saved, we can't become unsaved. Those people that are teaching and preaching today that you can lose your salvation are preaching a lie. It's not in the Bible. Here in the Bible, we're told we are sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Not to be broken until the day of redemption. That, that means until God redeems us. We're in heaven. And so you cannot lose your salvation. Verse 14, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession under the praise of his glory. So we see many things right there in Ephesians chapter 1 that gives us knowledge, it gives us the truth, The uh, um, like Paul said in the beginning of the verse. And we know, see, we know these things because that's what God has said. So God not only calls us to salvation to accept Him as Savior, He also calls us to live a holy life that's pleasing to Him and acceptable. He calls us to fulfill His great commission. Uh, that's just a, a few things God calls us to. But in our context of Romans chapter 8, 28, the called are those that are saved. And so if a person's not been called by God, he's not been, been saved, he's not accepted the invitation. If God has called him, he's not accepted the invitation. And I do believe, and whosoever will, I believe that men have a choice either to accept or reject God. Now, some people don't believe that. Uh, I do believe from the Bible, though, that it teaches that we do have a choice. We can believe or not believe. But I do know that God calls those who are to be saved. Now, how God works all that out, you got you got to ask him. I don't have enough sense to understand it all. All right, now look back in uh, Romans 8, 28. Look at the last part of it. We've already talked about this some already, but it says, called according to his purpose. So everything that God works together for good is dependent upon his purpose, his will. And you'll find in the Bible, every time we see God's will for us, it always includes his son, Jesus Christ. It's always through Christ that his purpose and his will is performed. Always. Uh, somebody once told me, well, you know, uh, me and my husband have fell out of love. I don't love him anymore. And I believe it is God's will that I divorce him and marry my high school sweetheart, whom I've always loved. And you know, God says that all things work together for good. I was literally appalled. I could not believe someone was actually trying to use this verse of scripture to back up their sinful life and to claim that God's word is actually giving them the go-ahead to divorce their husband and marry someone else. That's that's completely contrary to what God's will or purpose is. That is not in God's word. And so the Bible speaks of God's purpose and will many times. And it's always said to be through Jesus Christ. So these things that work together for good are things that are according to God's purpose. It's God's will. They're through Christ Jesus. And as we can understand from the Bible, they are those things that are laid up for us in a future time. It's our inheritance. It's part of our future glory. It's part of those treasures the Bible tells us to lay up for us in heaven. So God uses all these events in our lives for our good. Now, certainly, he can use our immediate circumstances for our good immediately. Uh, if you've done something, you've sinned against God, and you learn that horrible lesson, the valuable lesson that you're not to sin against God, and God will use that in your life to better you in your present working condition, your 
your daily walk, your sanctification process. Certainly God uses things for good like that. But when it comes to Romans 8.28, we're looking at things that God is, is preparing for us. Uh, so, if you go around quoting Romans 8.28 for every bad thing that happens in life, you're going to be you're going to be very disappointed when you don't realize anything good that happened out of something bad that happened. And you won't. Most of the time when you go through something bad, you gain experience, but you don't see something good come out of it. Most of the time. Now, sometimes you do. But what do you do when someone dies, a believer dies, or their family member dies? How do you give them comfort? Well, you certainly don't quote Romans 8.28. That doesn't help anybody. Maybe Psalms 116.15, which says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. That would bring much more comfort to me than to think, well, you know, God's going to do something good out of the death of your husband. <laughs> you know, don't tell that to anybody. 2 Corinthians 5 and 8, we can say, We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. So it brings me comfort, and I, I like to use that verse when I'm preaching funerals, to, to let people know and give them hope and, and comfort to know their loved one is in the presence of the Lord. Now, sure, we're going to suffer down here on earth. We're going to grieve. We're going to, we're going to miss them. We're going to be sad and depressed and everything else. And so we can't just claim Romans 8.28 every time something bad happens. And so I think the ultimate takeaway from this today is knowing that no matter what may come our way, whether it be good things, bad things, joyful things, griefful things, whatever it is, God uses those things, all things, by the way, again, all things, no matter how big or small you may think they are, God uses them for his purpose, for his will, for our future glory, and for our good. Now, we can find rest and assurance in our salvation in this realizing our salvation is eternal. Because why else would God use these things in our life for good if our salvation was not eternal? If salvation was not guaranteed, then why, why would we care if the things that happen to us are used for good? If they're not going to do us any good in the future. If we're not going to go to heaven. If our sins are not forgiven. If we've got to get resaved every time we sin. You know, if we've got to keep and maintain our own salvation, what good is that? It'd be no good. But I'm thankful for the truth of the Bible that once you're saved, you're sealed that Holy Spirit of promise unto the day of redemption when we will stand before the Lord and to be absent from the body and present with the Lord. And we can take great comfort of that. And to know that all the things that we went through here on this earth, God made for our good. And in, in heaven one day, we'll realize all the good that God has done. Not only in that future time, but in the times that we live here on earth. We can look back, I'm sure, at that time and say, I never even realized what God done. God did so many things in my life. You know, here's the problem that we have. We're, we tend to see bad things and remember bad things way more than we do good things. You can, you can sit here and think of all the bad things that somebody's done to you, bad things you've went through, but then start trying to think all the good things. And you've got, you, it's a struggle. You know, it, certainly, you can say, well, you know, we gave them our children, our family, and our home, and all. You can start, you know, counting your blessings and things like that. But when it comes to those really good things, a lot of times we just forget about them. But the bad things, they stay back there and remind us, and we think about those. Well, listen, God does work good things in our life. And many times we don't realize it or recognize it. We need to be more observant of the things that God does in our life. 
I'm the world's worst of not seeing God's hand in everything that I know He's doing, but yet I'll dwell on my problems. I'll dwell on the the burdens and, and sorrows and things in life instead of looking at all the good God done. We used to have a, a lady in our church that uh, she always seemed to have a positive outlook on everything. And she would she would see things out there and she'd say, that's a God thing. And uh, I was always always felt so guilty of not noticing a lot of the things she would bring up. She, she would just look at a cloud and and somehow get God, you know, into that and what he'd done or a tree or a flower or an animal, whatever it was. And boy, what an attitude to have. Uh, would to God that we would all have that kind of attitude where we recognize and think about what God is doing for the good in our life and, and stop focusing on the bad. I believe we'd be better off as Christians. But like I said, the ultimate takeaway today is no matter, matter what comes our way, God is using it for our good. And God is great. God is good. Let's go to the Lord's prayer. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you, Lord, for the message today. Lord, I pray that it's helped folks today. I pray that you keep us in your word, and Lord, keep it in the context that you mean it to be in. Lord, help us to recognize the good things that you do in our life. God, and, and help us to keep looking forward to that precious hope that we have when we reach heaven and all those things you have in store for us, we can't even imagine, Lord, our eyes hadn't seen it, our ears hadn't heard it. But, Lord, one day we'll realize it, and what a blessing that's going to be. Help us, meanwhile, here on this earth, Lord, as we go through day by day, Lord, through the daily struggles and grind of this life, Lord, that you'll help us through it. Lord, that we'll have a better attitude, and, and we'll see more things with your hand in it. Help those that are lost today, Lord. Those that don't have any hope in, in seeing heaven. Or those that this verse does not apply to. Lord, that you will, through the Holy Spirit, convict their heart. Show them the need to be saved before it's too late. It's these things we ask in the name of Jesus. And amen. Well, it's been good to be in God's house today. And uh, we did get a letter from our missionaries in Costa Rica, the Blands family. It's down here. We'll put it in our mission book. But uh, they're reporting some wonderful things there that uh, happening for them. They were meeting some um, um, resistance from someone down there. And uh, Brother Jeremy said that God took care of that. So thankful for that. That's one of those good things that God does. And uh, anyway, so you can read that letter there if you want to. And uh, we'll go ahead and dismiss. Are all hearts and minds clear? In fear of the Lord, we're separated. <laughs>